0: It's time to talk about all things mental health. This is Get Mental with Cecile Aarons. As a seasoned licensed therapist, Cecile is the owner of Transcend Therapy and is here to inform, guide and connect you on the big and small everyday happenings that affect our mental and emotional well-being. Cecile is passionate about making a lasting and positive impact on people, connecting them to their own wisdom and strength, while having a little fun along the way. Get ready to challenge the power of your human spirit. It's time to get mental. And now here's your host, Cecile Aarons.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Get Mental. This is your host, Cecile Aarons, on the Answer San Diego, 1170 AM, 96.1 FM in North County. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, Like I said, this is Cecile Aarons, psychotherapist and owner of Transcend Therapy, where we provide individual, couples, and family counseling. You can check us out at TranscendTherapyCA.com, TranscendTherapyCA.com. You may also listen to our podcast, Get Mental, on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. So today's show is on the subject of sexual violence, what sex got to do with it. I thought, you know, with all the news about celebrities, politicians, and other prominent people in the media committing acts of sexual violence, acts of sexual misconduct and harassment. Let's see, Harvey Weinstein, Matt Lauer, Charlie Rose, most recently accused Antonio Brown, the emergence of the Me Too movement, all the emotional charge around uh, victim credibility and intent, false accusations, and all the, the debate around presumption of innocence. I thought it is time and definitely appropriate for Get Mental to finally weigh in on this issue. What the show will not be about is it's not going to, uh, to politicize sexual violence. It, uh, I'm certainly not going to weigh in and play God on who is innocent or guilty. I'm just going to focus on the facts. And I think that's how it should be anyway. Before we dive in, for those of you new to the show, Get Mental is where we discuss all things mental health, and normalize conversations about mental health. And we also want to simplify the language around mental health. That's another one of our core values here at Get Mental. If you want to suggest future topics, have burning questions, and um, want to know about how to sponsor or advertise, just email us. That's the best way and easiest way to contact us at TranscendTherapy ca.com transcend Therapy, ca.com. okay so as you know uh, this show is community funded and your donation will and does make a difference it takes a village and it is up to all of us to support and protect our community against the mental health crisis that we face today so when we talk about sexual violence i think it's important for us to start with clarifying a few terms that fall under the, the umbrella of sexual violence. Three things come to mind. Sexual assault, sexual abuse, and sexual harassment. Sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual harassment. And people sometimes use these terms interchangeably. But even though there are similarities between them, there are also fundamental differences. So I'm going to go through it one by one. Sexual abuse, let's start with that, is mainly used to describe behavior towards children, not adults, okay? And it's done without consent and often with manipulation. So sexual abuse is a term more that is utilized to address when kids are being um, sexually taken advantage of. Sexual assault is when um, obviously you are being, sexually assaulted. It's unwanted touch, unwanted, any kind of unwanted sexual behavior that is being perpetrated towards you. So sexual assault is a physical act, and there's a range of behaviors that can fall under that. Sexual harassment is similar to sexual assault, where it involves unwanted, uninvited sexual attention. But the main difference is, there is no physical contact in sexual harassment. Once that sexual harassment goes into, um, like say your boss actually touching you, that can be considered sexual assault. In any case, all of these types of sexual uh, violence are illegal. Okay, sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual harassment, they're all illegal. The thing is, these acts are typically motivated by power and control, the desire to humiliate or control somebody. So the title of the show is what sex got to do with it? Well, absolutely nothing. I know that's hard to believe because these the reason that sex has nothing to do with it is because these acts are perp- are motivated by power and control and a desire to humiliate at times the person. It is not motivated by sexual desire. That is one of the big myths around sexual violence. So I, I just thought it would be it was really important to um, point that out. Okay. So consent, sexual consent is at the heart of the matter when we talk about sexual assault sexual and sexual harassment. And sexual consent is often a critical factor in determining whether a person will be committed um, uh, or charged with a crime or not. So in the case of sexual abuse, let's talk about that for a second, right? Sexual abuse, again, is for those who are abusing children. Consent should never be expected of any child or minor. Consent should never be expected of any child or minor. I just want to make that clear. An adult should never have any sexual contact with a minor regardless of the minor consenting, consenting or saying yes, when really, you know, they don't have the capacity to really truly consent to that kind of act, period. The onus of consent should never be placed on a minor, period. Even though, say, one party is 18 years old and, say, the other party is 17, this happens a lot and people start to blur the lines. So one is an adult and one is almost an adult, 17, regardless of your feelings about it, it's still illegal and really inappropriate to engage in sexual activity with a minor, really. The onus should never be placed on a minor for consent. So what is sexual consent? What, what do we mean by that, right? I mean, it sounds pretty obvious. It's an agreement um, between participants to engage in sexual activity. And when we think of consent, we often think, oh, you know, it's a matter of just saying yes or no, when we're ac- actually it's more complicated than that. Um, consent can be given verbally, but consent can also be given non-verbally. Hey, how, you might ask? Well, through body language, through um, their behaviors. Someone can communicate non-consent through their ambivalence, right? What does that look like? Hesitating, um, you know, saying things like, I'm not really sure if I want to do this, pushing, pushing you away, shaking your head, things of that nature. Um, is communicating non-consent. When in doubt, don't go forward. And I educate a lot of um, my, my young men that I come into contact with um, in my practice about consent because sometimes it is really confusing for them. They are genuinely confused by the messages they're getting um, when they're dating. So there's a lot of education that needs to happen. And I teach them how to be aware of nonverbal cues because consent isn't just going to be given verbally, especially if there's a person who has low self esteem, not very confident, um, very passive, is scared to say no. It's hard for them to actually say, no, I don't want to do this. But you can still, um, uh, you know, get get the vibe from them through their behaviors, through their body language. So consent can also change at any time during the, the interaction. People can change their mind, right? You could start kissing somebody and then, you know, five minutes later they might change their mind and realize I don't want to move forward with this. And that is a totally appropriate and, and the person's right to change their mind. So don't think that just because it started off with consent that the whole time it is consensual. This is where it gets confusing for a lot of people. So the, the, the idea, really, part of the education that needs to happen, and not just with men, but, you know, everybody, is that you want to stay attuned with that person throughout the whole sexual encounter so that you're really on the same page from beginning to end, okay? Um, But again, please watch the nonverbals and respect the cues, respect the boundary. Um, So now I think uh, it would be important to talk about some of the statistics so that you guys understand how prevalent, how big of a problem this is in just our country. I'm just gonna talk about the stats in the U.S., um, but this is a massive global problem, you know, and I don't have time to get into the politics of it, right? The, 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 the masculinization and feminization that happens in our society that I think has a lot to do with this. But uh, I don't have time to get into that, but um, maybe another show. But uh, as far as statistics, one in five women are sexually assaulted, compared to one in 71 men. So a lot of times when we refer to victims and survivors, we use a lot of she pronouns because statistically women still get victimized far more than men. One in five compared to one in 71 in men. And then, you know, we don't, I don't even have the stats um, as far as LGBTQ, the LGBTQ community, um, a sexual assault happens there a lot too. A forcible rape occurs every 6.2 minutes in the US. So this whole time I've been talking, someone was raped. That's what these stats are saying. So that is very, very staggering and disturbing. Not okay. Most female victims of rape were raped under the age of 25. So they're getting victimized at such a young age almost 80% of the people that were surveyed, and 40% of them before the age of 18. So that means when they were minors, okay? One in four male victims of rape experienced it at ten, age 10 years or younger. Again, minors. A lot of boys tend to get sexually abused at a younger age. And that, you know, you, that makes sense when you think about it because they're more vulnerable at that age as opposed to when they're older so this is so heartbreaking you guys totally totally heartbreaking and if this is you if you have been victimized please know you are not alone there is help and it is not your fault abuse sexual abuse harassment sexual assault is never your fault I don't care what the circumstances are, what you were wearing, where you were, how dark the alley was you were walking at, what kind of bar you went into, it is never okay and is not your fault. And I'm gonna talk about myths and facts a little later to, to, to really make that point across. There's so many myths and misconception and victim blaming around this subject. Support is available, therapy is available. As a matter of fact, We can help you with these issues at Transcend Therapy. We specialize in trauma. If you are in San Diego and California, give us a call, 619-823-1382, 619-823-1382. Or you could email us at TranscendTherapyCA.com, TranscendTherapyCA.com. Sorry, that's our website. Email us at TranscendTherapy at gmail.com. But anyway, if you just go to the website, you will get information about how to reach us and so forth. Um, We also help perpetrators when it's appropriate. And, you know, a lot of times in my experience, people who have abused other people sexually, especially if it started at a young age, also have their own sexual trauma or some form of developmental trauma or child abuse. Child trauma is what I'm talking about. So I'll, I'm not saying it's an, ex, I'm not excusing their behavior, but I think it's really important if we're having a real conversation about this to look at both parties and how the mental health piece is really a factor in one's, you know, uh, vulnerability to perpetrate sexual violence and one's vulnerability to um, uh, cope with sexual violence, because it's not their fault that they get victimized, right? But it is also um, their, their, the quality of their mental health and their support systems have a lot to do with how how much they can recover and how quickly they can recover from something like this. Some pre- one caveat, though, some perpetrators may be beyond the scope of therapy. These are people who are truly sociopathic and antisocial, okay? I definitely definitely do not want to paint Uh, a picture of utopia and give people a false sense of reality. There are truly people who are predatory, manipulative, have little to no empathy, and who truly want to do harm and cannot be rehabilitated. So um, that's the reality. But majority of people who um, commit, these acts as children or minors have a lot of hope and chance in rehabilitating. I know this because I used to work in the field uh, with sexually abusive youth. I worked with the offenders and a lot of times, you know, they're, they're just hurting too. And like I said, they've also been traumatized and exposed to a lot of sexually inappropriate things. And there's a lot of hope for them to change that behavior and to heal and to change that pattern so that as adults, they don't end up in the, in the system. So here are some warning signs, okay? Let's talk about some warning signs, especially when you're dating. How, how do you know, you know when you're at risk? So one of the things you can look for is when a person is touching you with, with no regard really for what you want and what what is uncomfortable or comfortable for you, right? When someone is sexualizing a relationship that's clearly not a sexual relationship, so this could be like friends or coworkers or strangers that are, you know, making inappropriate comments, like sexualizing the conversation with you, that's a red flag. Using conversation that isn't appropriately intimate right? That's another red flag. Telling sexual jokes, that's inappropriate. Um, And unwelcome, that's another red flag. And making inappropriate comments about your body, your sexuality, that's another sign. It's It's an indication of their character, their intention, maybe sometimes their mental health. So just being cognizant and starting to connect the dots for yourself. Um, the other thing, this is more in intimate partner relationships, when someone is showing a quick temper, blaming others when things go wrong, um, very controlling, using threats, using violence, um, minimizing their behavior. Um, abusive personality characteristics include jealousy, um, And again, you know, I know sometimes people get jealous. We're talking about significant, chronic, persistent, unhealthy jealousy, um, where they're suspicious about everybody with whom you speak. They want to be with you constantly. tries Tries to turn you against your parents or loved ones. Controlling behaviors, like I said. Unfair expectations, you know, of you and your time. Isolating you. Fast tracking, that's what I call it. Fast tracking the relationship, right? Quick involvement. Pressuring you to move in, to go steady right away. Or pressuring you to have sex if you're dating, right? Um, Rigid sex roles. Believes that males and females must act in certain ways and do certain things. Verbal, emotional abuse. Forcing you to do things and so forth. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, right? But the bottom line is, if, when in doubt, trust your gut, even if you don't fully understand what's going on and you can't put the, your finger on it, you, you don't really have the words for it, your body will tell you when something is not okay, when something is not cool. When in doubt, err on the side of caution. Trust your gut and do not move forward with that person. You know. Um, so hopefully so far that is educational and helpful to you guys. You are listening to Get Mental. We're going to take a short break, but when we return, we're going to talk about sexual, how sexual trauma affects victims, self-care, things you can do, and how to be part of the solution. So stay tuned.
0: Supporting local business isn't always convenient, but at Ortiz Market, it is. Ortiz Market has all your shopping needs right at the corner of Escondido Boulevard and 13th Avenue in
1: Escondido. They're family owned and operated and feature a huge selection of local beverages. And if they don't have what you're looking for, they'll order it for you. That means you can get what you want without the long
0: lines you find at big name supermarkets. The best part is they care about serving our community and are here to join the fight to destigmatize mental health and let people know you are not alone. Visit Ortiz Market today at the corner of Escondido Boulevard and 13th Avenue in Escondido.
1: Okay, you guys, welcome back to Get Mental. This is Cecile Ahrens, your host and owner of Transcend Therapy. For more information about our practice, visit us at TranscendTherapyCA.com. And you can also access all of our shows on podcast, available um, on Apple, Spotify, and Anchor. Also, our website now has a donation tab. So for those of you who find this um, show educational, helpful, informational, um, please consider making a donation through the donation tab. Any amount is appreciated and will be going going towards a very good cost. Also, our guest feature of the month is certified meditation teacher and empowerment coach, Joy Parks. She came to the show last week to talk about mindfulness and its many health benefits. And to learn more about mindfulness and how she can help you, please visit joyparkswellness.com. That's Parks with an E, joyparkswellness.com. So moving on with our conversation on sexual violence, what's sex got to do with it? Remember, absolutely nothing, right? Because it's all about power and control. So what are some of the effects of sexual trauma? Um, Some of you may already think, oh, you know, of course, someone's going to have a hard time recovering from it but it really the effects can be long lasting. I think a lot of people don't realize that that even a single event of sexual violence can have long lasting effects depending on that person and what they already were going through prior to the event, how much support system they have, um, how the, the the type of coping skills that they have and so forth. So some of the one of the things that can happen to victim is the obvious, depression. Right? In I think that's pretty self-explanatory. You, you could you could see why someone would be depressed after such a, an event, a horrific event. They could also develop post-traumatic stress disorder. So um, that's another, uh, that it's really hard to recover sometimes from PTSD and depression without, especially if you're not getting any kind of therapy for it. I'm not gonna lie. I'm not just saying that because I'm a therapist, but really, these kinds of conditions, if in need you need a third party professional who is skilled at helping you move through this trauma. To to help you through it, it it's not something that you just get over because so many things get distorted after an event like this, um, and you know a lot of times people don't want to go there yet. It takes it takes time before a victim or survivor actually comes forward and says, you know what, I want to talk about this now. It often takes years. And so, you, you know, people are walking around with this, these symptoms of PTSD and depression and the pain and the burden of all of this event. Sometimes people are abused, sexually abused more than, on more than one occasion. So you can imagine what it's doing to their psyche and their spirit and their overall level of functioning. So depression's is one impact. Post traumatic stress is one impact. Sometimes people are at risk for self harm and self injury. Okay, this is when people are say cutting themselves or um, actually having suicidal thoughts or putting themselves at risk uh, to be hurt. You know, like say I, I have a client right now I haven't, that just came to mind who like she says sometimes she'll just drive and not really care how she's driving and, and not really care if she's going to get hit or not. So very, very dangerous situation, right? But they're, they're, the mental capacity of a person who's uh, been sexually traumatized, especially this lady that I uh, described, it was a recent trauma. So, you know, there's different levels of healing. There's different kind of levels of acuity that happens after a sexual trauma. The other impact could be, unfortunately, sexually transmitted diseases and infections. So again, another sobering reality. And it happens, guys, it happens. So not fair, so not okay. The other impact could also be pregnancy, unwanted pregnancy, this is a big one. Um, Eating disorders could also uh, be one of the impact because, um, sexual violence can affect people in many ways, including distorted perceptions of their body and feeling, feeling out of control and eating disorder usually has a lot to do with feeling like you're getting some control over your body and over, you know, over your life. Substance abuse is another impact, right? Because think about it, if you're in that much pain and, um, traumatized, you know, most of the time you don't want to think or feel about it. So substances are an effective way to do that. So they're at risk for abusing substances. Dissociation is a big one. And for those of you, you know, dissociation really is a clinical term. It happens a lot with trauma victims. Um, It's really when we detach, when one detaches from the body to disconnect from the pain and the event. It's the body's way of protecting itself from pain, Um, especially when that person doesn't have the capacity yet to tolerate the emotions, thoughts, and sensations associated with that trauma. So it's just kind of something that naturally happens um, after a severe trauma because the body has that kind of intelligence where it just knows like, okay, we need to shut this down right now because you can't handle it yet. And that's why I said that therapy is really critical because we can help you with those symptoms. We can help you in a manageable, gentle way to, to be more present and work through the trauma. Dissociation is part of the healing process for many people. Um, sleep disorders, and like I said, suicidality, the impact on your relationships, right? If you're a mother, if you're uh, if you're in a relationship, say, with, with a spouse or a partner, those people usually get um, significantly impacted as well, and they feel helpless. They don't know how to support this this person who just got traumatized. So those are just one of the few impacts of sexual violence that I talked about. And here's some interesting stats, you guys. So I talked about the the impact on survivors, right, the physical and emotional impact. The other thing that people don't think about is the economic impact of sexual violence, especially if people have to get medical care, and if they don't have insurance, can you imagine? And if they think they have an STD, and if they think they're pregnant, just look at kind of the domino effect here. There's also the occupational impact of sexual violence. People usually need to take time off work. They can't function. They can't perform the duties of the job. Um, I just put somebody on medical leave in my practice because she is just super unstable and symptomatic right now. That um, she's, uh, you know, I I uh, I wrote her off for, off work for for a month for thirty days just to recover. So the the struggle and the impact is very real, you guys, and the impact on loved ones, like I talked about or mentioned. A lot of times the loved ones will also come and seek support in the form of therapy or support group, right? So that's impacting them now and their life. And if they have to pay for those services, that's an economic impact on them. Impact on communities, okay? Schools, workplace, neighborhoods, campuses, Um, all of those structures are usually affected because... There's a financial cost to the community, right? And also, if they know about the event, if it's a public uh, kind of situation, they, they also, there's an emotional impact on the community as well, you know? And the criminal justice expense that people also, I think, forget to, to consider, right? On law enforcement, on um, attorneys, on public prosecutors, on judges. All these things have a cost, right? Um, Mental health service fees, crisis center fees, the lost contributions of people affected by sexual violence. That stuff you can't even really measure, you know? And like I said, when people go on medical leave or disability, it has a trickle-down effect, right? I'll give you a staggering uh, statistic here from the U.S. Merit Systems Protection Board. This was in 1995. I I would say it's probably a lot more now. Sexual harassment alone cost the federal government a 327, an estimated $327 million, $327 million in losses associated with job turnover, sick leave, and loss in group and individual productivity. So that's a lot of money. I'm just, I'm just, Giving you guys a taste of how one seemingly, you know, uh, individual event, right? Somebody being sexually assaulted really can impact so much and so many people. There's an emotional impact, physical impact, economic impact, occupational impact, societal impact. It's a big problem. And I was reading an article, actually, that just in 2017, there were 263 recorded people who are um, celebrities and CEOs and are, are high public figures who have been accused and some of them charged with sexual violence. 263 in 2017, that's just the people we know, right? That's just the people that, that are actually in, in the public eye. This happens all the time, all the time. It's really, it's really um, disturbing. Another statistic, it is estimated that women in the US lose about eight million days of paid work, eight million days of paid work, and 5.6 million days of household chores because of violence perpetuated against them by an intimate partner. And again, I think a lot of people don't realize that sexual assault can happen in a marriage, in an intimate partner relationship. Yes, you can be sexually assaulted by your spouse, by your intimate partner. And unfortunately, it happens all the time. I know these are are not kind of, the not very easy to talk about. it's not the, the nicest topic, you know, but thank you for being willing to learn and listen, um, because this affects a lot of, a lot of people, millions of people in the U.S, millions of women, maybe some of you watching, right? I, I'm a sexual abuse survivor, and I don't have any problems sharing that. And that's why I'm very passionate about this topic and the cause because I know firsthand what that's like and I could not have done it without the support and and the right the right treatment really so it took me a long time to be able to own that to be able to say that that was part of my story but you know I'm on the other side and because of my healing I can I can do this now, I can do this kind of work now, and I can use that experience to help others. So if this is you, if this has happened to you, please know that you're not alone. It doesn't have to be a death sentence. Yes, the recovery can be very hard and trying, but it is so worth it, and you do it for yourself. You do it for yourself, you take your power back, you reclaim yourself, you know, and know that you are not alone, you are not alone, okay? Um, so what can you do if you're a family member who, uh, know somebody who has been sexually abused, assaulted, or harassed? The first thing you can do is listen non-judgmentally if possible, right? Believe them. Even if, you know, the stories may not be matching up or lining up it, whatever it is, just believe them. It's not your job to determine whether, it, it, how it happened and, and all the, the, the accuracy of the story, it's really important to believe survivors. And yes, there are cases where people falsely accuse people of sexual violence, but the, 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 the truth is those are very rare. And I used to work, I used to manage um, a crisis center Domestic Violence and Sexual Assault Hotline and Shelter 24-7. And I know this firsthand, that most people, most victims do not come forward. They do not prosecute. They do not want to press charges. They don't want to go make it public because they are so terrified of reliving the violence and the trauma. So the amount of people who falsely accuse somebody is very small compared to the amount of people who get victimized and do not report. This is actually, I believe, one of the most underreported crimes in our country, right? Why do you think the Me Too movement happened? You know, because people just don't want to go there. They don't want to talk about it, they don't want to think about it. There's still a lot of shame. Um, so, this is why I'm doing this show, okay? This is what Get Mental is about. So please listen, listen to them, be there, okay? In any way, shape or form that you can. So sometimes they need to uh, seek medical attention. Sometimes they may want to report to the police or sometimes they just need someone to talk to or they just want you there physically and they don't want to talk about it. However which way they need you to be there, see if you can be there for them. Offer support, encourage them to get help, and go to a support group, be patient. Remember there is no timetable for recovery and avoid putting pressure on them to engage in activities that they're not ready to do yet. And encourage self-care, whether that's through diet, exercise, sleep. Um, Sometimes they may need to go on medications just for the short term to help them uh, get through it, get through the hump. Um, at least help them sleep or help with the flashbacks and panic attacks. So encourage them to get help. And then for you, loved one, if 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 you're the one doing the supporting, it might get challenging and, and really um, emotionally draining for you as well. So you can also get support for yourself, either through individual therapy or support groups or... Just, you know, if you already have a pretty solid set of coping skills, use the coping skills that you have um, to take care of yourself because you're going to need that. You're going to need to sustain yourself if someone very close to you has been a victim of sexual violence because their recovery, you know, is going to take time and there there are many steps to it, Okay. So again, if you guys have any questions, you can type it up there and uh, I'm happy to, to answer them. So let's talk about a little bit about prevention, okay? There is no way to prevent sexual violence from occurring 100%. Let me just say that because, you know, we don't have full control over another person, in this case, the perpetrator. But there are ways that you can reduce the risk for yourself. The first one is educate yourself, know the signs, trust your gut. Like I said earlier, when in doubt err on the side of caution, don't go out with that person or, um, you know, tell somebody about it, right? Tell somebody if someone is making you feel uncomfortable, develop a code system with your friends or family. For example, if you're going out on a date, arrange a code word to indicate to them to call you or come and get you. Um, tell a counselor or therapist or a trusted person. Report it to authorities as much as you can, whether that's teacher, uh, you know, pastor, school counselor, police. If you have the courage to do that, because people can't help and support you unless you say something and unless you reach out. Um. So, that's that. So we only have a few minutes left. And I wanna spend some time just talking about some myths and facts around sexual violence. And I think this would be really um, informative with ev- for everyone. So the number one myth is that victims are at fault. They cause the violence that has happened to them. Well, of course, that's not true. Um, it doesn't matter what someone is wearing, how they're acting, no one, ask, no one asks to be raped. Okay, it is never the victim's fault. An absence of consent is a crime, period. Though there shouldn't be any ambiguity about that. Okay, no means no. And again, no doesn't have to be stated verbally. Some body language is a form of communication. So people can also communicate no, through their body language. So people have to um, watch out for that. Hi, Tita Mags. Thanks for watching. Um, Okay, so the other myth is, there is no reason for a victim not to report being raped to law enforcement. Well, no, that's actually not true. Rape, like I said before, is the least reported and convicted violent crime in the US. That is really disturbing and saddening right? Because A, they're worried about not being believed. A lot of times they don't remember the details because that's what trauma does to the brain, you know? Um, And they just don't want to go through having to relive it, especially if they are going to be cross-examined. Thank you. Um, So that's that. The other myth is Victims provoke sexual assaults when they dress provocatively or act in a promiscuous manner. No, 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 no. I know it sounds tempting, right? Sounds tempting to try to put the blame and the responsibility on the victim. And I get it. You know, I get the mentality. I try to play devil's advocate. Um, But again, the bottom line is nobody asks to be raped. You know, some, if we want to get real about this, this particular myth, some people may have a certain sexual uh, preference, sexual kind of uh, aggression, you know, sometimes people like that, but that doesn't mean they want to get raped. There's a whole world of difference between having a preference for a form of sexual engagement, and rape, and sexual violence. So let's just clear the air on that one. The other myth is if a person goes to someone's room, house, or a bar, then he or she must assume the risk of sexual assault. And if something happens later, that person shouldn't claim that, um, that they were raped or sexually assaulted because they should have known better. Ooh, that's a big one. They should have known better. Why would you put yourself in that situation? Well, again, that's placing the onus and responsibility on the victim. You know, a lot of people make poor decisions, right? You don't know what's going on with that person and how vulnerable they are and that they decided to go to this nutty dive bar. But that doesn't mean they want to be, you know, sexually assaulted. That's just not okay to think that. The other myth is, it's not sexual assault if it happens after drinking or taking drugs. Right? That's another important point, by the way. Do not try not to engage in sexual activity with a person who is consenting under the influence of substances, because you don't know how intoxicated they are in that moment. Now, if it's just one drink, you know, fine. A couple of drinks, maybe, but. You know, you know when someone is like not all there anymore after after a few drinks, or if you're if they're doing drugs, right? That is not the time to get consent, and usually, that's not also considered true consent when they're consenting under the influence. So, you know, I tell a lot of my young adults, especially my young male adults, um, who are confused about consent. We talk about this a lot. Uh, the other um, myth is that most sexual assaults are committed by strangers. That's not true because most sexual violence is are committed by someone the victim knows, okay? A spouse, a partner, a boyfriend, an acquaintance, a neighbor, that happens a lot, or a coworker or a boss. Um. Sexual assault won't happen to me or anyone I know. Right? That's also a myth. Doesn't matter how careful you are, how, um, how responsible you think you are, some people will use force to get what they want. So just be aware of that. That's why it's really important to educate yourself on the signs and the red flags and to have a buddy system, if you know you're you're, you're um, concerned about your safety somewhere, really communicating that with somebody you know. So there are many other uh, m- myths and facts here, and we can't really um, we can't really get into it because we don't have a whole lot of time left. But one more thing I want to share is one of the myth is serial rapists are uncommon. That's not true. Most every perpetrator is a serial rapist. Isn't that disturbing? Meaning that they choose to use coercion, violence, threats of force to assault people on a repeated basis. So what they're really saying is they're not usually one-time offenders. They have a pattern. They have a pattern. That's why knowing the signs can really help you recognize that pattern in somebody. So, yeah. Thank you so much for listening thus far and hanging in there with me on such a difficult, delicate subject, you know. But again, what's sex got to do with it? Absolutely zero, nada, nothing. Because it's not about sex. It's not about sexual desire. It is really about power and control, okay? So we have reached the part of our show called Inspiration Corner inspiration corner. and This is where I get to talk about a real life story of a client from my practice or um, a previous life uh, related to the topic. So I have a couple of of stories I'd like to share. The first one is a female client in her 30s who has just... um, Actually, she just started working. We just started working together about six weeks ago. And she is a survivor of domestic violence and sexual assault by her intimate partner. And the reason she's an inspiration is because she was one of those rare women who actually decided to press charges and won. And her perpetrator is now in prison for 12 years. So that's, that, the, that's a rarity, because like I said, most of the time, they don't come forward. In fact, she's the only one on my case right now, my caseload right now that did that. Um, so she's an inspiration for her strength, her courage, her resilience, and just her grit You know, we are starting to work on some of her trauma. There's multiple layers of trauma that happened to her in this relationship. And we are just starting to unpack it. Um, She's still dealing with a lot of PTSD, a lot of symptoms, um, and a lot of uh, flashbacks and memories. She's still easily triggered and activated by, you know... a song or a movie or a conversation with a friend. I mean, there's a lot of things we're trying to manage, but she is definitely one of those women that I think are are gonna do okay, um, just because of the internal resources that she already has. The other person I wanna share uh, about is another female client who was sexually abused um, as a child, by you know I don't want to traumatize you guys but by by a family member and it took her years right this happened around what when she was five or six and now she's 36 so it took her like almost 30 years to finally want to work on this and talk about it and fast forward to today we are very close to resolving this trauma in her life through the type of trauma work that I do called EMDR, Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. I'll talk about that another time, but it's very gentle and very, very, very effective. So anyway, she's an inspiration because she honestly did not think that she was gonna get to a place of this kind of resolution and, and healing. But there was a part of her that knew that she at least had to try because it was still, you know, 30 years later, these events that happened to her were still affecting her today and holding her back from realizing her full full potential and holding her back from really being the woman she knows she can be. So it's really, really rewarding actually to see her because now as she's healing this trauma in her life, I there's a deril- direct... um impact on how she's moving in the world and the kinds of relationships she's, um, choosing to have in her life. And now she's, you know, going for bigger jobs because her confidence is so good now compared to when we started. So these two women are truly inspirations and this is what can happen for you if you start the process of healing and recovery. And again, if you're in California, give us a call, 619-823-1382 or email us at transcendtherapy at gmail.com and we are happy to help you and help is available and healing is possible. So that's that. And if you also live in um, San Diego, you can call your local crisis line, 888-724-7240. They should get you started, 888-724-7240. And another huge uh, nonprofit um, organization that deals with sexual assault and abuse is Center for Community Solutions. I used to work for them. And their number, if you're in San Diego, is 858-272-5777, 858-272-5777. All right, you guys, so we have reached the end of the show. Thank you so much for being here and for joining me. Um, and for caring about this subject. And like I always tell everybody, be well and be gentle. Until next time, bye for now.
0: Thanks for joining us today on Get Mental with Cecile Aarons. To learn more about Cecile, become a sponsor or guest on Get Mental. Or if you have any questions about mental health, visit TranscendTherapyCA.com. That's TranscendTherapyCA.com. Join us next week at this same time for more talk on all things mental health on Get Mental with Cecile Aarons.